Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch. And before we get started today, um, I just want to give you a gentle reminder to follow the Thoughtful Intentions account on Instagram at Thoughtful Intentions Podcast. Please also um, subscribe wherever you listen and feel free to comment, rate, all of the above. Um, Let me know what you like, what you want to hear more of. I really appreciate all of it, as long as it's constructive and nice. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about like the big picture of this podcast and how I want to shape it going forward, so your feedback is valuable to me. I might have to do a solo episode soon just to um, think out loud about the hypothesis here and what we're trying to discuss and uncover. And with that said, I am very excited to introduce our guest today. She is one of my dear friends, Paulina Portella. Paulina is an early childhood special education teacher. She's originally from Philadelphia, but is now spreading her wings in Chicago. Paulina started her journey studying theater at Penn State, but it wasn't until her move to the Windy City that she discovered that her heart was in the classroom. She decided to go back for her master's in early childhood education. She balanced working full-time and grad school full-time, all while supporting herself to follow her passion. She hopes to become a wacky, artsy preschool teacher in Chicago public schools. Welcome, Paulina. Yay! Hi! Hi. (laughs) How are you? Good! I'm wonderful! What everyone needs to know is this is just like my secret way to catch up with Paulina because um, I just adore her and we don't get to spend enough time chatting, so... This was my, um, I tricked you, huh? It's more quality time. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I'm really excited to have you here today. And I, like I mentioned to you, well, just for context for anyone listening, Paulina and I went to Penn State together and studied theater together in the same class and lived together senior year. Um, so I just really want to talk to you about your career switch um, because we've kind of been doing that in tandem a little bit um, and have hit some similar trials despite being in different industries now Um, and all that good stuff. And you just finished grad school. Congratulations. So there's a lot to celebrate here. Yes. Yes. Very excited. Very, very excited to get life rolling and start in my career. Isn't it? It's like kind of scary that like we've been out for as many years as we've been out and it still feels like we're just trying to get started. Oh my gosh. I was just talking about the other day. Cause I was saying about how like in grad school or when you're in school, you have this like plan and like, everyone's like, Oh, that's what you're doing. And now all of a sudden, like leaving school for the second time, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing and like starting over and feeling like, okay, I'm an adult, but like have to get my life started. Do you feel like you have to like relearn how to just structure your day? I feel like that's how I felt leaving undergrad. Oh my gosh, completely. I just, I don't even know what to do with myself anymore. Cause it was so used to having like a strict schedule and structure for everything. And now it's kind of like up in the air and figuring it all out again. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer like the free time or the structure? I am such a structure person. Like (laughs) I love chaos. Like I love chaos in my life, but like a structured chaos, like I I want controlled chaos. Yes. I want to have, (laughs) but like a little mischief. I want to have a schedule and then like throw a ton of curveballs in there to like stress myself out. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. It's the only way to do it. Um, okay. Well just to like, kind of 
uh, backtrack a little bit. You initially moved to Chicago for Second City, right? Yeah. So, so that I, feels like a lifetime ago now, but like remind me what that experience was like. So I graduated with US, we know, and I had a theater degree and I was like, what the hell do I do with this now? Um, and so I just saw Second City had a program and a professor mentioned it to me and was like, you should try it. Um, and so it was kind of one of those things just how we we're just talking about, like, it was a plan, like it was an idea and I knew what I was doing. And at least when I graduated, when people are like, oh, what are you doing? I had something to say. And it's like a prestige for those that don't know. It's like a prestigious comedy company kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like most of like SNL people yeah. went there. My teacher was like best friends with Steve Carell, like very unique situation. Um, and like I wasn't a comedy person, like it's really improv based. And so that was really new to me, but my teacher was like, you're goofy and silly, like you can do it. So I just went out and did it. Um, and it was also one of those things too, that I didn't know where I wanted to live. And so I was kind of deciding between New York or Chicago. So it was kind of a chance for me to do a little trial run in Chicago, as well as kind of figuring out my footing for theater and right. all of the arts. I, I kind of vaguely remember that it ended up being a lot of writing. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I actually found like my passion in the program was with writing, which I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a writer, but it just kind of felt natural to me. So I wasn't the improv, very unnatural, very, very unnatural. <laughs> which is, it's not a bad thing. Like, it no, I mean, me- we didn't do it. We just didn't do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It pushed me outside my comfort zone. I had to sit in that awkwardness. But like, it was a good challenge for me, but writing was definitely something that I found that I loved and it challenged me in like a, I don't know, beneficial way, I guess. Yeah. What else did you learn about yourself in that program? Like outside of theater oh, or gosh. like, did it, did, was it like a defining factor in you exploring other things? I think it just like really proved to me that I don't know if the arts were for me as much as I thought they were, which mm-hmm. is the best answer but I just I was there and I was like I should love this and this should be what I want to do and I should be excited about it and I just found myself being on edge constantly Mm -hmm. and just so uncomfortable and nothing and it wasn't that like exciting uncomfortableness where you're like oh I have no idea what I'm doing but I'm excited about it it was more of like I am sick to my stomach every day and I just realized I was like that's something I don't want to live through every day to Mm -hmm. make my purposeful no I think that's really valid and I um I feel like I experienced that too just after doing like four years of school in a specific area though that's like a really scary feeling because you just put like everything into this particular career path and then to realize especially like rather suddenly that maybe maybe this isn't it for you it makes me feel it, it is one of those it's things scary. you like commit to it so much and then for those four years like I'm doing this I'm being brave and I'm really like committing to the bit kind of thing and then when you have that moment you're like oh this isn't right you feel like a failure like you're like did I just yeah. waste four years did I was I an idiot for trying this out like but I mean now now as I'm older I, I definitely found that like I kind of shut that voice up a little bit and recognizing that theater and the arts will always be important in my life in some way or another, no matter what I'm doing. But 
right after college, when you just invested all that money and all that yeah. time, you can only feel like a failure because you're not doing yeah. what you I mean, did. it's easy to see like in hindsight, which I also see now it's like, that was an important stepping stone to get me where I am today. Like seeing the bigger picture, it makes sense. But like at the time you're just, you're just like, well, what, what was that all for? I don't, I mean, did you have any of that inclination before we graduated or was it like afterwards? Yeah. Well, you I know, feel like I was, we all, I feel like yeah. I kind of know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> we, like, all, I was, we all kind of had that like moment of imposter syndrome of like, what are we doing? Oh, absolutely. And like, you just, you feel like you have to go in this certain direction, especially the way that our school was kind of set up was like, we have all these amazing people coming out of Penn State and it's known for theater. And so there's this expectation of like, this is where the bar is set and you got to meet that and kind of feeling like, well, I don't, I don't like that bar. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. But that also feels like a fraud because I'm, I signed up for this and this is what I chose. So but I, they're I also like, they're only introducing one bar. Like there yeah, aren't like, yeah. there's a lot of other bars that you can pick from. And, and that's the thing that like haunted me all throughout the, like doing theater in college was that phrase of like, well, if you can see yourself doing anything besides theater, then don't do theater. And you're like, yeah. that is not helpful to. Anyone. I hate that phrase. I hate it. It's ridiculous because I think art's beneficial in any aspect of life. And like, I use my theater degree consistently throughout my day in the classroom and like just even in the world it's you're learning how to deal with people's emotions and judging situations and I think all of that stuff is helpful but for some reason there's this expectation of like you don't want to do the grind and you don't want to be the starving artist and like you're wasting your time and you're wasting everyone else's time which is just ridiculous it's yeah it's it's stupid like it just gives you tunnel vision and then also makes you feel like less than when you find something else that you actually enjoy and would like to invest your time in. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing, nothing can coexist. And and that's just not how life is. Like no. we're humans. We have many different facets and I think yeah. our careers can also be that, but there is that expectation like, well, if you didn't commit yourself fully to this and you're like, no, that's, that's unrealistic. That's right. just silly. It's also like, it's a long life. Like you don't know how yeah. it could come back like into your life in a different way maybe at some point like we have time <laughs> exactly I always say like I I plan on like eventually becoming the little drama school teacher in like a, a little elementary school and running the little kids shows and you know what that would be much more fulfilling to be than doing Broadway or trying to like hustle and be on like shows like that that's more beneficial to me and I'm still an artist in that sense. It doesn't degrade yeah. what I'm doing. Totally. I, um, you know, I was reading today, this article, there's a column in the Atlantic called, uh, how to build a life by Arthur C. Brooks. And I really like it. And there was this article I was reading today and he was talking about, um, it's titled Ben Franklin's radical theory of happiness because I'm just, I'm pulling this because you said about, um, fulfillment. He says, and I didn't even know that Ben Franklin was such an optimist, so I wanted to share, but he says, for Franklin, happiness meant lifelong learning in the marketplace of ideas. In other words, self-improvement. This conception of happiness encompasses the great contradiction in American culture, individualistic in the focus of the self, yet communitarian, communitarian in the re reliance on a cooperative marketplace. Further, Franklin defines happiness as an endless journey, not a comforting destination. 
This journey could be an exciting adventure or a terrible curse, depending on your point of view. But in this, and then the author says, um, but writer says, but in this look, but in looking at his life, I had to wonder if he was searching for the right things in the right places to find happiness. It's true. You won't find an apple on a tree unless you look for it, but you also have to be looking at an apple tree. My work finds that happy people rely on four building blocks to boost their well-being. They engage in work that gives them a sense of accomplishment and serves others. They practice some sort of faith. They invest in friendships and they spend time with family. So just like that first one, the sense of accomplishment that serves others, I feel like that's really, that's like the second half of like young adulthood. (laughs) What actually gives me a sense of like, accomplishment that also serves others like I feel like I have a purpose that I'm content with at least the purpose thing is huge yeah that was the thing that like really drove me to like going into grad school is like I have no purpose like I'm living day to day I'm not in the community I'm not working towards anything like I'm just kind of here but you were student teaching before you wanted to go to grad school right no no okay grad school happened first Yeah. So I was nannying when I first moved out to Chicago because I knew that was like a steady job and I could make money and I was good with kids. Um, So I was just nannying for, I guess, I guess like two and a half, three years. Um, And then a few different families. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that was great. Like, don't get me wrong. I love that experience. And I'm still really close to the families that I work for, but it was just I had no purpose. Like I had no, there was no next step or there was no connection with others. It was just kind of like doing the thing. So Um, how did you figure that out? What, um, what, what made you decide to make that move? Okay. I'm going to sound like a crazy person, but I did this backpacking trip after I finished my one job and I had this time in my life and I was like, I have the space and the ability to go travel. I'm going to take it. So I went on this backpacking trip and I went by myself and I met this amazing group of people. This was the Camino, right? Yeah, this was the Camino. So this is a big deal. Like give a little context for people that might not be familiar with the Camino. So the Camino is um, a trail. It's a religious pilgrimage, but it doesn't have to be for religious purposes, but it's a religious pilgrimage through France and Spain. Um, And basically you walk for like 20 miles a day and then you end up at these things called albergues. And it's just this big hostel with like 300 beds in one room and you're sleeping with these complete strangers. And then you wake up the next morning at six and do it all over again. And it's sounds crazy to people because it is, but it is the best experience I've ever had in my entire life. It it just teaches you a lot about yourself. It teaches you a lot about like humanity. I had so many moments where I'm like, wow, there's so many amazing people in the world. And it's this amazing community in itself that really takes care of each other and you're supporting each other. And like, it's, you can't be an individualist and do this. You have to get with the pact and it's just this beautiful experience. Um, And you end up finishing it at uh, the town called Camino de Santiago and, or not Camino de Santiago, Santiago de Compostelo. And it's like this big church in the middle and it's this big celebration once you get to the end, but it's, it's supposed to be about 45 days that you're walking. I, because we live, yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> and you do the same thing every day, just walk 20 miles a day and like 
put one foot in front of the other, but it is with a huge backpack on your back. Yeah. Yeah. You're carrying all your stuff. Like, and you're in like crazy situations where you're getting like bed bugs and like you're sharing a bunk with like three foreign German men who like don't speak English. Like it's just, (laughs) it's absurd. And, but it's the most magical experience I've ever had. I did it two times before with my dad, but this time I did it by myself. And that was like very revolutionary in my life and really shifted my perspective on things. And, And that's the reason why I did grad school was because I came back and I was like, this world has this like beautiful space and like ability to like travel and see the the world. And we just don't really have that in America. We don't have the time and space for it because of the way our work schedules work. Um, So I came back like crying. I remember sitting at my kitchen table crying to my parents. I was like, I hate the way our work system works. Like I want a job where I can like work really hard for like a couple months and then take time off and travel and like a job that will be rewarding. And then I feel like purposeful in. And so I kind of just fell into grad school and teaching. And it was one of those things that I always knew I wanted to work with kids. And I always knew that was a passion of mine, but for some reason teaching just like never crossed my mind until that point. And I was like, wait, that's a beautiful thing. I would have time off to travel and I could work with the group and the community that I'm passionate about working with. So it just kind of, and like, you had already been like caring for children anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Which it you just, loved. Oh, I love it. Like it. And it's one of those things too. Like you, it's one of those careers you can't be on the fence about, like you either love it or you don't. And I right. knew that I was working with kids. Um, so it, it just felt right. And I was like, well, let's go try it out. And like, uh, at least, at least if I do grad school, I'll have a purpose too. Like that will be my purpose is I'm in grad school and I'm doing something and I'm contributing to society in some way. But you were like, I mean, my hesitation with grad school was always like, um, being more in debt and also doing something in grad school that I also was not satisfied with with afterwards, you know? So this wasn't just like grad school for grad school's sake. This was like, you knew. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely, I knew I was revamping my life and like, it was going to be a complete career. And this is also like a career space where grad school is necessary. Yeah. Well, and it was one of those things that I could have gone back for undergrad, but it was before years. And I knew I could do it this in two and just financially it made more sense. And that was like, I was trying to calculate was like, how do we make this work financially? Um, but yeah, it was, I knew that like, okay, if I do this, my life is changing completely. Like I'll no longer be on the same path. You know, it's crazy because as you know, my mom taught high school for 36 years. And so when I was growing up in the summer, I, I mean, I really didn't have many babysitters because she was home. I mean, we would like go to daycare after school until like five because she had her commute. Um, and during the summer, I think I went to camp like twice because she was home and we would travel and stuff. And it, it didn't even occur to me until like, I don't don't know when too late that most people don't have that schedule. And it really did bother me. I was like, I have to work in the summer. Like what? It's, it's, I mean, you guys work so hard that you deserve that much time to, um, uh, that's, that's necessary restorative time, but, um, yeah, necessary. But I think you make such a valid point of just like, what do I actually want to prioritize in my adult life? What kind of life do I want to build? 
um, and like logistically, not just conceptually, like the up here kind of heady, what do I enjoy learning about versus the day to day? How do I want to structure my life? What do I want to pay for? What do I want to like make time and space for it? It's, um, yeah, I mean, that's half the reason I switched too. Yeah. I, my dad had this like phrase that he would always be like, will you be happy? Like I remember applying to grad school, I mean, uh, to undergrad for theater and he's like, all right, let's, let's sit down and envision your life. What let's think about the logistics of it. Like, would you be happy if you were a starving artist and working and like as a waitress and then at night doing theater? And at that point I was like, yes, I would be happy. He's like, great, then you can do that. Like, if that's something that's logistically not happy for you, like, then don't do it. And so we had the same conversation when I did, was applying for grad school was like, will you be happy teaching like really hard for a couple months and then traveling in the summers? And there was another thing too, that like something that's really important to me is that I want to be a mom one day. And so he was like, will you be happy like having summers off to be with your kids and spending time and having a structure that allows you to have children where you're not working so much. I was like, yes, obviously that would make me happy. So it was kind of like figuring out, will this serve me in the long run? Like how is this just a silly decision or like, will I be happy in the long right. run of right. making this logistics work? Yeah. And I, I do remember your grad school application paper because um, you let me read it. <laughs> and I just, I, I thought it was just like, it was fantastic, but it was also, there It was there was a part that was like whole, so wholesome where you talked about being the director of your classroom in front of all these like little kids and directing them through their um, childhood. And I just thought that was so lovely. And I don't, I wanted to check in and make sure you were still feeling that. <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. I, I just was writing it for my cover letter, actually like kind of similar thing. And it is so funny. I, I feel like I'm more theatrical and apply more of my theater stuff in the classroom than I did actually in theater school like really I am running this classroom and, it, and there's so much like time management the same way as a director would and like you gotta command a classroom like you gotta you gotta be theatrical and perform and you're always on and you're always putting on a performance and so I definitely feel like I'm still doing that but the difference is now that performance doesn't make me anxious like it <laughs> like it, that's it's, important yeah, like it's something that I enjoy and now I'm like no that's that's the feeling I want where even because just like theater like things go wrong in a classroom all the yeah. time and you just learn to adapt and adjust and there there's still that like nervous energy but you're like oh I'm gonna figure this out and piece it together and it's just more exciting so I definitely feel like I'm still the director or like a performer in my classroom absolutely oh I'm so glad um well <clears throat> on the note of grad school, how the heck did you balance grad school with student teaching with supporting yourself? Oh my gosh. There's a lot, a lot of support of other people. I'm really glad that we're like out of the woods with that now, but I don't know how you did it. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how I did it either. And like now looking back, I was like, Oh, it wasn't that bad. But like in the moment I was like, there was many tears. There was many days where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why would I do this? Mm -hmm. um, and that was like one of the logistics things that I needed to figure out when applying for grad school was like, I live in Chicago. Like I can't live at home with my parents and live in their right. house off their groceries and 
while I'm going to grad school. Like I have to find a way to pay my rent and support myself. Um, so I ended up switching from nannying to become a teacher at a small, like private arts integrated preschool, which was the best decision I've ever made. Um, but it allowed me to have the schedule to work and then do classes at night, which was amazing. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Like, and I think for people who are not going through it, you're like, oh, you're handling it just fine. You're like, no, my brain is going to explode. Like I am so exhausted. There's so much I'm thinking about so many different elements that I'm trying to factor in and you're just trying to balance it all without losing it at any second. Um, was there ever like a point where you thought that you might not like finish it? I, well, I'm stubborn. So I knew I was going to finish it one way or another. I knew you were going to finish it. But. Yeah. Like <laughs> Those I, feelings can still come up. And, but yeah, there was definitely days where I was like, I, I don't, I, I need a break. Like I, I need to stop. Like I, I can't do this. Like it's too overwhelming. I, I don't, I'm going to fall apart at any second. So you're, and you're just always waiting for that ball to drop kind of feel of like, okay, today some kid's going to say something to me and I'm going to absolutely lose it. And that's going to be the end of it. Um, but I, I also just had like, it's definitely my dad's like immigrant mentality of like, you show up and you do the work. And like, I just had that in the back of my head of like, you just got to keep going and like put one foot in front of the other and like put in the work. Um, so that just kept pushing me the whole time, but oh my gosh, yeah, there was definitely days where I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. I quit. Like I, I want to give up. And then I started thinking about the finances that I paid for school. And then I'm like, (laughs) you will finish. You will finish. Did you find that like the challenges were mostly, um, just in the balancing act or like, did you also encounter any like challenges that you didn't anticipate with just handling the kids? I, I think the most like tricky thing to balance was taking care of like my mental health, because it's one of those things that, especially in the career of teaching, you are giving so much to a group of kids all day long. And then you go to class and you're being taught how to give so much to these kids. And so it's just this cycle of like constantly draining yourself and giving yourself to other people. And so to find the moments where you're like, I need to take care of my well-being or else I will not be okay for these kids. Like I need to work on myself. So I think that was like the most challenging thing was making the space for that because you are giving so much. Like I, even with challenging, you never feel frustrated at them. Like you're frustrated that you can't do what you need to do kind of thing. So it's never the kids. I think it's just more like, how do you work on your inner workings? What did you do to like, take care of yourself I'm a queen of a hot girl walk that was like <laughs> great yeah I I really it's it like was a very just, healthy coping mechanism yeah it just it was one of those things where I was away from everything like I would just go walk on by the lake take Did you listen seat. to anything uh, I'm so I my therapist told me one time that I sometimes I get out of sync with my life so she's like find music that gets you back into sync with your life you know, what's crazy is that on my walk home today, I was thinking about this conversation and I was, wait, why is it doing that to me? Um, I was thinking about this conversation and I was thinking like, I wonder what music Pauline is listening to right now, because she always has such like good music recs. 
Oh, I'm all over the place. I'm a big Remy Wolf fan, big Amine. But then there's like other times where I need like more slow stuff, which this is your brother's recommendation was camp. And that oh, is- Oh, we, we love camp. That is <laughs> my view. Like if I'm like, okay, I just need to calm my body down and like recenter myself. Like that's one of the bands that I'm like, let me Do you just- know what's funny is that camp started like in Ohio and Maddie, um, you know, my, one of my friends- yeah, yeah. She uh, went to Ohio University, and I remember when I first like we first started listening to Camp, and Maddie was like, "What? Like they're they're from Ohio? Like they play like basement parties in Ohio?" And I was like, "Well, you should go to one. Like they're so good." And now, like luckily, they have more of a platform because they're fantastic. But um, I just thought that was hilarious. I remember playing Vagabond like in the car with you and Megan. Yes. And I was like, I don't know if I'm really into it. I don't know. And then now I'm like, I'm obsessed. Well, they I, have the banjo going. Like, what's not to love? <laughs> banjo. You know, I'm a sucker for a banjo. Yeah. Who, who isn't? Exactly. Um, well, so now that you're more steeped into this industry, do you feel like any kind of imposter syndrome or you just feel like right at home? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I definitely feel imposter syndrome still. And like, especially now applying for jobs and like going into these interviews as a teacher who hasn't really taught in a public school or had that experience. I, I know the things that I believe as a teacher and I, I hold certain values really strong and like close to my heart, but also I feel like, who am I to say this stuff? Like I, I have no right. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, and like, I've been in the classroom with student teaching and teaching my own classroom for a while, but like, there's still days where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I don't know who let me run this class. Like I, have, <laughs> I should not be in charge of 20 kids. Like there's it's no so weird to think like back and, and realize that my teachers were like my age. Like that's yeah. really trippy to think about. And like, I, I do not have my life together whatsoever, but like I walk in this classroom and I have to act like I do. Like I have to act like I'm, I, I have it all figured out. And like, especially with parents too. Like, it's just so different. I'm like, I am a baby. Like I'm a fetus. Like, who am I to be talking to you about your child's development? Like I have no, like, <laughs> how, how old are your kids? So I work with three to five-year-olds. Okay. So little tiny peanuts. Little ones, little yeah. ones. They're little babies. Oh, just out of curiosity, does being a teacher, and maybe this isn't the case since they're so young, but does it change the way you look back at your education at all? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Well, especially I'm in school for special ed and right. growing up, I like had a learning disability my whole life and I went to Catholic school and like nothing was ever really done about it. And you just realize there's so many kids who are like not being evaluated, not getting the services they need. Did you know that you had it or was that like a realization later? No, they they knew, but they, they didn't have the tools or the, like the skills to aid with it. So it was kind of one of those things they were like, yeah, she can't read, but you just got to read more. And I was like, that this was like an instance where you were like memorizing words instead of sounding them out. Right. Yeah. So like, I can't decode a word. Like I can't look at a word and know what the sounds are. Like, I just, I have no idea, like the, the phonemes in them and like the phonemes, are like the sounds that the words uh-huh. make. Um, and so I would do stuff like if I would see the word chair, I knew, I knew what it meant, 
So I'd say the word see instead. And my parents would be like, why, why are you saying that word? That doesn't even make sense. Like it doesn't even look the same, but I was just new in my brain. Like I was just memorizing all these words so that I could semi-read. And like, I, I managed, like I was, I was fine. And I graduated with honors and all that kind of stuff. But it was just one of those things that like, if they started me earlier, I wouldn't have had so much problems, but it was one right. of those that they just didn't know how to handle it. And so now like going through learning about the services that are available through special education, there's so many things out there that could have been done. And, and you realize now, and especially like going through the process of working in a public school, you see that there's so many kids who are not being evaluated and looking back, I'm like, there should have been other things in place and other steps that they, yeah. What do you, I mean, like what gaps do you see in special education now that like are trying to be filled? I, I think a lot of it is if kids are not to an extreme, then they're not getting the services they need because especially in Chicago public schools, there's not enough special ed teachers and there's not enough space. Right. So it's one of those things that if they can keep a kid in general education for as long as possible, they're going to, which then means the teachers who are general ed teachers are somehow filling the role of a special ed teacher and trying their best to do the skills. And, and there's things in place, like you're doing tier systems of support. So you're, you're gradually adding more supports for these children. But I mean, my student teaching classroom, we had more kids that were not special education students that needed more support than the actual special education students. And it, it was one of those things wow. that, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're adjusting and you're trying to make it work. And, and you're working with a school counselor and you're like, these kids need to be evaluated. And they're like, well, they know their ABCs, so they're good. And you're like, this kid can't have a conversation and can't make eye contact and can't engage. Yeah, what's with- like the, what is the range of um, things that are included in like an evaluation? So generally you're looking at like behaviors and like seeing, cause there's a lot of kids too with just behavioral issues, which is considered special ed in a lot of senses. Right. Um, it's like receptive language. Like how are they, are they able to answer questions? Are they able to engage with the directions you're giving them? I mean, and then it's, it's a little different because I'm working in preschool. So our like cognitive and like developmental intelligence looks a little different than older kids would because we're not doing like standardized tests, but you're still seeing like at four years old, a kid should be able to recognize the letters in his name. Like you should be able, he should be able to look at the letters and see like, I know that that I is in my name and you mm-hmm. have kids. Yeah. And so, but if they go into the evaluation and they can sit count to five, then the people are like, they're good. You're like there's so many other layers to it and so it's one of those it's things kind of like how like standardized testing doesn't really um tell you a person's intelligence like yes it's like the test that's the problem yeah and and that's something that like I hold really true to my heart as a teacher is like rote knowledge and like basic knowledge is really great like kids need to know the letters of the alphabet they need to know their abcs like they need to know numbers but I think things that are really important is like, can they problem solve? Can they critically think? Like, can mm-hmm. they, these other more complex tasks? Because those are the things that get you through life. Like you, you'll eventually learn your ABC. It's like, I eventually learned how to read, but like, doesn't mean like this other stuff is not important. Like you still need yeah. to weigh that in. It's interesting that you can even like observe that in children at that age, which 
seems like duh, but I feel like for people that don't spend much time with like three to five-year-olds, it's easy to forget like, oh, well, they're just kids. Like you won't be able to see those things, but you can, like, that's a part of, that's a part of their personality. And, And that's something that I think is really important too, is recognizing like, yeah, they may be three and four, but they're capable. Like they're, and, and that's right. something that I think a lot of teachers undermined is that kids have these abilities and they, and they're balancing all these amazing things. So like, those are areas where we do need to still support them and still need to help them and give them aid where it's, where it's needed. Um, you're not like, you're not benefiting them in any way by expecting less. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like you yeah. still, you need to expect, and I don't want to use the word excellence, but you should still hold them to a certain level because they are, they're capable. It's, it's also just like kind of a respect thing in a way, you know, you're not assuming anything about what they can accomplish. You know, you're giving them the opportunity to show you. Um, exactly. Exactly. And like working with them. You, you have to give them the afterwards. space. Yeah. yeah. You have to give them the space to do things. And I was just saying in an interview today, talking about like, it's so silly, but like putting on a jacket, like so many people would just be like, well, they're three, I can help them put on a jacket. And you're like, yes, you can help them, but what are you teaching them? You're teaching them that they're not independent, that they aren't capable of things, that they can't do hard things. Like it's a little small task that really looks like it wouldn't mean a lot, but when you give them that power and you give them that space to do it themselves, and I'm not saying like you wouldn't help them, like you aid them and you- right. You're there to support and yeah, but allow them to try because like that's something in life that they're gonna have to try many things and they're gonna have to get totally. used to being uncomfortable and pushing their limits. And so I think even at three, like you start allowing them to have that space and explore that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about money stuff, as I mentioned to you previously. Um, because I know like we've had many conversations as you've been balancing all like grad school and student teaching and supporting yourself. Um, we've kind of (laughs) come up as this, like, I don't know. I, I considered myself for a while as the broke friend of the friend group. And I think if I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like you relate to that experience. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny because I, and please, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but like money is a motivator for me. If it was my main motivator, I probably would have chosen another lucrative industry, but I keep choosing industries that are not lucrative. Another thing I think you can relate on, but, um, it doesn't mean that I don't like care or want it or, or, you know, am after it. No, I definitely agree. Like I, I've said that since I moved to Chicago, like I took a nannying job and like it paid great. Like, don't get me wrong. It paid great. Um, but I still always felt because I didn't have like the traditional white collar job that I was always the poor friend. And I like now think about it. I don't know if anyone ever said anything. It might've been just like my perception of it. But I always was so paranoid about looking like the poor friend and not being able to keep up with everybody and do like, I still want to do all the fun things and I still want to be a part of it. And and then I work so hard to put on the front of not being the poor friend of like, oh no, I can do it. It's fine. And then meanwhile, like I'm panicking as I'm putting down my card to buy like a $15 tequila. Well, it's like kind of complicated because like you, um, you know, like you've 
at least in my experience, I was like very stressed out. So I would vent about, you know, how stressed I was about money, how like tight money was, but then people start like not treating you differently, but like trying to like look out for you in a way where they're like, Oh, can you afford this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Should you do this? Should you do that? Like with that in mind? And I was like, should I just not tell anyone that I'm like strapped for cash? Like I'm still very aware of what I'm spending. Like, it's not like I'm like being willy nilly with it, but like, I know what I'm doing. I'm just stressed about it. (laughs) See, like I did the opposite thing where I like pretend it like it didn't exist. Like I'm always internally like going to throw panicking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was even funny. Like I realized I don't show it as much as I probably like should have when I was like talking to my roommate and I was saying about how I was like, well, I don't know if I can go to that dinner because it's so expensive. I need to save money. And I was talking about like how I'm not getting paid for student teaching. And she was like, you're not getting paid. I'm like, no, no, I'm living off purely savings right now. And she's like, well, good thing your parents are helping you. And I was like, oh no, no. Also none of that either. Like I, I literally am living off savings right now. Like I am running out of cash as the days go on. Like, and she was so perplexed by it. She was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah. So like when I say like when I'm when I do the thing of like, oh, I already have plans, like I can't do that. It's typically because I don't have plans. It's just because I don't want to spend the money and I can't afford to spend the money. But I'm trying not to act like the poor friend. Like I'm very much putting on the front of being like, no, we're fine. Like I just like I think I just screwed myself in the beginning by being so public about it. <laughs> Like I had no shame in being like, oh my God, this is what I'm making. This is what I made last year. This is what I made the year before. Like, this is how much taxes are like crushing me, even though I only made this much, like it's crazy to me. And I think uh, most of the people around me just could not imagine like making life work at that price tag. And my point was always like, no, I can do it. It's just not easy it's it's doable it's just fucking hard it's a lot of thinking and like that's why I was so glad to have you too because like you were the one of the people that I would talk about money with because I was like you get it but it it is one of those things that like until you're doing it like it doesn't seem possible but when you're in it you just figure out a way and like especially like I I think you can speak to this too like we're hustlers like we'll make money and we'll we'll find little different pockets where we can make an extra few bucks and like stretch a dollar you know mm-hmm. but I it is so perplexing to people be like wait how did you do that and you're like honestly I wish I could explain to you because I have no idea how I'm doing it but like do you feel we- like you still operate on like a scarcity mindset at all oh absolutely I was just talking about it with my dad today because he's like when you get a job, you'll be making good money. And I was like, I think I won't change anything. Like, I think I'll still live the exact same because that's just like one, how I was raised. Too. I see free food. It's going in my backpack. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Like I'm like, when we're going home with me. Yeah. I could be allergic dinner, to it and I'm taking it home and someone else is going to eat it. Someone, I, I am one of those people at dinner where like, if people like leave food, I'm like, you got to finish that. Like you like, <laughs> money on the table right now like yeah what are you doing like because that's just like I'm gonna stretch a buck I mean I'm not gonna lie I've gone on dates just for a free dinner like you gotta do what you gotta do you gotta do what you gotta do you know what's so funny is the like one of the first days I went into the office um at my job I ran into one of my coworkers who I've seen multiple times on um 
like video and, yeah. but we had never met in person before. And, um, she was like, uh, Fiona, we were by the elevators and I was like, uh, ha- yeah. And I said her name, which I'm not going to say on here. <laughs> um, and she was carrying a cardboard box and I was like, oh yeah, just leaving. And she's like, yeah, I'm just like taking this home because you know, why would I pay for a box at the store if, if they're free right here? And I was like, yeah, totally. Like I used to do that all the time when I was catering, you know, I would take toilet paper from those venues. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I've thought about doing that here. And I was like, you get it, <laughs> which was like bold of me to share first time meeting her in person. But I, you know, if you know, you know, yeah, it's just an authentic thing. Like you gotta, you gotta hustle it out and you make do and like that, it's something that I, I've been embarrassed about, but it's also something I hold a lot of pride in. Like, I don't, you, you, I don't know if you feel the same way, but like, it's like, damn right. Yeah. I like stretch that dollar or like, I, I made that paycheck last way longer than it should have. And like, that's something I just I- like feel like way more familiar with what I actually need to, um, support myself and like now going forward, what, if I make more what will I put that towards? You know, like it, yeah. it, it forces you into prioritizing things in a way, um, which I don't know. It's kind of, it's a good life skill. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. I also saw this TikTok where this, um, this guy was like growing up poor, you don't realize like what you'll be cheap about as he was convincing himself to buy an umbrella <laughs> <It's> <laughs> in so like the CVS. It's so true. I'm like, I'm not spending money on that. Like I'll, I'll yeah. do figure it out like absolutely I think like one of the things that I always think about too like especially I think it's just ingrained in me is like my parents were very thrifty and yeah. so I always grew up like I was a goodwill kid before it was cool like I remember my mom Same. Me, and I was like mom, my dad still it well we ours is value village but still like my mom will ask him to go drop stuff off but it's dangerous because like he'll take home more than he'll drop off yeah, exactly. Like I remember my mom going, and I was like so embarrassed. I was like, I don't want to be seen here and now. Like it's cool or whatever, but like in the moment, like that was just our normal thing. And like my mom has this beautiful gift of like stretching out a dollar. Like she can, she can make it work in any sense. And so like she can, and- she can make it work, but like, and I think similarly to my parents, they don't sacrifice like joy, you know, yeah. there's no yeah. sacrifice of joy. It's just realizing where you can cut, like cut the fat, trim the fat a little bit so that you can do the things you love. And that's the same. Like I think about, okay, I, I don't want to spend money on this umbrella, but I'll spend money on my nails, you know, <laughs> like, yes, kind exactly. of silly, but like, you know what you care about and you know what, like you'll save for Yeah, traveling. I- that's one of the things that we did. We trap, we traveled so much and it, my, my dad was a te- uh, musician. And my mom was a teacher. Like it's not, um, once you learn your priorities, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like m- me and my dad got in a fight when I moved to my last apartment because he was like, you don't, you don't need this. This is so indulgent. I was like, first off, I've worked so hard to earn this money. Like I'm going to spend it where I want to. And I was like, this is something that like my home and my space is something that I prioritize. And mm-hmm. like, I know I'll be able to make soup for two weeks out of a $5 rotisserie chicken that makes up for like paying rent you know like you just find ways to put money where you want to and find what's really valuable in your life and that would that was something too of like going out with friends and like being the poor friend 
I still always went out, whether it meant I was bringing a flask so that I didn't have to buy a $15 tequila soda and like cutting corners there. But like, I still thought like going out with friends and spending that time and enjoying their company was so much more valuable than I don't. Yeah. I don't want to be frugal with my, like not financial. I mean, I'll be financially frugal, but I don't want to be frugal with my experiences. Like I want to experience what I can while I can, what, why not? You know, Mm -hmm. we live in big cities. Like this is our time. We're in our twenties. Like I still want to be, I want to feel normal. I want to feel like I'm doing the normal 20 year old something things. Do you feel like your relationship with money is changing now that you're about to like enter a full-time position? I don't know because like you said, you'll kind of like, you won't do anything differently. Yeah. But like, are you, do you feel more at ease? I guess I do. And because I will be living off savings for the past six months with no income whatsoever. Like I, I started in January, my student teaching and will not make money until August. And so like, it's just one of those things that I think the reality of like making money will just be, I can breathe a little bit more. Like I won't worry about buying groceries. Like I won't overthink it. Like it'll just be something that I do, but I don't imagine my spending habits will change. Like, I don't think I'll be suddenly extravagant with my things. Like I think I'll pretty much be the same just, I want more relaxed. Yeah. I just want yeah. stress. Yeah. That's a good place to be. Exactly. I'll take it. Yeah. And you are in like the thick of that interview process, aren't you? I am. I am. I hopefully will have a job by the end of the summer, maybe even by the end of this week, who knows, but I'm just, I'm, I, I have all my fingers crossed for you and toes. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's one of those things that I know I can get a job, I just want a job that I love and that I feel really passionate about because there's a plethora of special ed teaching jobs in the city and especially in Chicago, our school system is whack. So they're trying to hire. It just, I know I want to invest in a place that invests in the same values that I do. So I'm being picky, but no, as you should, you know, I, I, I know we're running out of time, but I also, before we got on, you mentioned like a dream job. And I know that there's this whole narrative going around, especially like on TikTok right now of like, um, I don't dream of labor. You know, people are like kind of um, challenging that term, but I don't think anyone's, I mean, I don't, when I say dream job, I don't say it as in like a labor thing. Like (laughs) it's like the idea of being able to spend your time doing something fulfilling that is a dream exactly and I think it's different because we chose jobs of passion like we we're in yeah. careers we're passionate about we care about like my dream job has nothing to do with the paycheck it has to do what I'm actually doing and I, I love going into the classroom every day I'm exhilarated by it and so to find a space that fosters that excitement is a dream. You know, I, I want a space that I feel fulfilled in and that I feel purposeful and I feel excited about doing the work. And so like, I do dream of that. And like, I, I, I want that. I don't know. I think it's really just beautiful that you have found, like, I mean, this isn't even like a first passion. You've had many passions. And, um, I met, I remember meeting someone early in New York and just like, uh, we were just introducing ourselves basically. And, um, I was talking about the things that I'm passionate about and they were like, that's so cool. Like, I don't think I have any passions. And I was like, 
really? I don't know if I've met anyone that says that they, they aren't passionate about anything. And I kind of like, I don't know. I hope that everyone finds that at some point, you know, like, I just think that we're blessed to have found it early in our lives, but I mean, it kind of made me sad. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine like waking up every day and being like, eh, eh, it's fine. Like there, there's something so exhilarating about finding something that just like sets a fire in you. And it could be something so silly. Like it could be just like yoga is my passion. And it's something that is like, it doesn't have to be like a career or anything like that. But I think to find something that brings you such immense joy is. There's nothing like it. Yeah. it makes living worth living, you know, like you need to find something. Before I let you go, I want to ask you a question that I asked Cameron, um, on the podcast about a year ago now, which is crazy. Um, do you believe in fate or free will? Ooh, I, I, I believe in free will. I think I, I just, I, I believe that there's an element of fate, like certain things do fall into place and everything happens for a reason, but the ability to grab those things and run with them is in your hands. And I think that's huge. Like, I, I, I think you have to have some sense of control. Maybe that's just the control freak in me saying <laughs> little bit better about trying to control everything but I do I do think it is free will yeah I feel like there's some in between there that I believe yeah. in yeah um well Paulina thank you so much for this I just oh, I love you so much <laughs> you thank you for having me where can people find you uh, I'm on Instagram. Where can people hire you? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll send my resumes out to everyone. Yeah. Um, please send them to all the CPS teachers. Um, no, I, I'm on Instagram. It's Plina21. Um, but I, I really don't have any social media platforms. I'm not hip. I'm not really hip, very hip. You need to get a TikTok. You need I, to make it. You have one. I send you them all the time. You need to start making them. I think I would fall into a deep, deep rabbit hole. I would become addicted. It would be an issue. You know whose TikTok is my favorite? Who um I had on here recently is Sophie Brown. I've never seen hers. Oh know. my god, I'm gonna send you her videos. They're so funny. She's such a goober. I love it. Um, well, thank you, Paulina. Again, I really appreciate this. Uh, we'll have to do this more often. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been Fiona Winch and Paulina Portella on Thoughtful Intentions.